Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 38 for May 4th, 2006, Browser Security. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway. On the web at www.astaro.com. So finally, the sun is shining in uh, beautiful California. We, summer, or at least spring, finally arrived. And look, Steve Gibson's wearing a tank top and shorts. <laughs> no, well, it's not. dry in <laughs> Toronto, nice? Leo. Yeah. Were you all chapped? I was all like chapped just <laughs> after funny? one day. I, I am. And, you know, they complain in Toronto that it's too humid because they have the lake effect. Um, but but I guess it gets humid some other time because I chapped is the word exactly. My cheeks yeah. are uh, bright red and uh, yeah, my face was all like tight yeah. feeling. It's Isn't like that oh, what's going on? Yeah. yeah, we're we're just wusses down here in, Southern, in, in, in California. <laughs> when you have a perfect climate, oh, now yep. I shouldn't rub it in. We have listeners all over the world, many of whom actually live in perfect climates. So I won't bug them. And those of you who don't, you already know. So our topic today is something. Uh, I think that near and dear to everybody's heart, no matter who you are, you use a browser. And uh, it seems that browsers are uh, one of two really prime vectors for security flaws, That the other being email. Yeah, I, I, I think probably maybe browsers more than anything because the design of browsing on the web, the way it's evolved, is is part of the problem. Whereas you could argue that that email viruses were are sort of a side effect of of email security problems i mean the, the idea for example that that microsoft's design for activex was to allow a website that you visited to i mean on purpose to download a, what is basically a dll and run it just by visiting the page without any asking for permission or anything. I mean, things have tightened up since this was originally created and in, in this original concept, but you know, that was the idea. So, so one of the things that I want to draw a very clear distinction between are problems due to policy versus problems due to mistakes. And I mean, this has sort of been a long-running theme because for example, um, over on a different era, you know, o- over in Windows with open ports. My argument with Microsoft was that they were running servers and services that were opening ports in Windows by policy. I mean, they were deliber- they deliberately had file sharing running. They deliberately had DCOM and and uh, RPC and all these ports open, not 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 mistakenly but on purpose and it was it was not until they finally got the clue and had the fire they had XP's firewall running by default in service pack 2 that those those open ports were then hidden behind the firewall so they were essentially closed to the outside world so you know anyone can make a mistake and of course Microsoft is famous for making mistakes 
but it was the fact that they had this policy that that essentially exposed their mistakes to the world and and this is very much the same problem we see over on the browser side so it really goes hand in hand i mean i guess you could claim that the policy was a mistake, but it was such a global mistake that uh, we're still suffering years later, and it makes it difficult to fix. Whereas a, a, a security hole, you can usually patch and fix, and it, it goes away. Well, let's okay. So exactly, let's stand back now a little bit, and you know, sort of like turn back the clock and remember that the original concept of the web were static unchanging html you know text pages that that browsers would would download from the server and those pages would then go fetch other images which would populate the page if it was you know gra- a, a, a graphic web browser you know and that was the that that, that was tim berners lee of uh, you know original concept for the web was you know uh, these this distributed database called the internet of servers that would serve pages and then these pages would be linked to each other and so people could click on links to go to other pages but you know the the page itself was just you know just static it was it was a a a textual read only page that that users would browse and then they'd click on links to go to something else. Actually, I think Tim in his original conception wanted them to be editable, but you're right. I mean, very quickly became just this these static pages. I think his well, original and- plan was to have pages be collaborated on, and of course the immediate security issues that became obvious, and everybody said, oh no, maybe they better just be static. Well, we didn't have collaboration technology. Maybe the idea was like to FTP no, to the, the server. No, the original, uh, believe it or not, the original web browser that he wrote uh, on the next box. That was the idea. He wanted other physicists to be able to modify pages and collaborate on documents. But you're right. I mean, no, that was that never left CERN. I don't think. Right. Well, and in fact, the you know the the original concept was was from the server to the browser only, and and the the addition of the of forms that allowed that allowed web pages to send information back you know you can tell by the by the nature of the way it was implemented it was it was kind of a kludge that was stuck on afterwards you're talking you know, about the, the, I, the get and the put and all of that exactly yeah. where, where, where where for example you you make a query to the server and then you you put a question mark in the URL and then and then show the parameters right there which is you know how most ser- search systems work today where you're able to create a URL which contains the search parameters in the in the link text this whole notion of getting data back to the server was sort of an afterthought and not something that was that was originally conceived so so moving forward um I don't I'm not clear on the timing of where Netscape was with their with their scripting and where Microsoft was, you know, Microsoft tried to give us, you know, VB script um in the browsers. Um but then ultimately Microsoft came along and said, "Hey, let's, you know, let's not limit users to running um JavaScript." in browsers we want this to be more powerful more you know feature packed so we're so they took this whole notion of of olay which is their object linking and embedding technology which has sort of have been limping along for a number of years and somewhere along the way they renamed it it's the same thing they just renamed it activex because that sounds 
fancy, you know, <laughs> sort of like DirectX and Xbox right. and, and all that. And and what ActiveX is, is it's just a DLL, you know, a, a, a compiled program, which in the case of a, of a browser application is able to download this code into the user's system and and run it and i mean it's it's very powerful but of course it's horribly insecure i think you can blame microsoft for this because the original scripting implementation by by netscape which later became javascript really wasn't very powerful i mean it, the browser could do things but it couldn't it couldn't active, actively access your computer, uh, your hard drive. It couldn't. It wasn't really a full blown programming language. It wasn't until and Microsoft that, came along that you really right, had that. Right. Well, and that of course was was by design. And and in fact, we know that the related language Java itself, real Java, it it from from day one, it was created with the notion of a sandbox. That is a an enclosure, and so Java code was also the the idea was you would be able to to download Java code and have a so-called Java runtime, which would interpret the code so that you weren't actually running object code on the processor. You were you you were running in an interpreted environment that could constrain. What the what Java was able to do, and that's still the case today. I mean, there are malicious Java applets, but nothing uh, on the order of the ActiveX applets. Well, exactly, and so 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 the distinction here to draw is that that Sun and Netscape, who who did Java and JavaScript, I mean, they always understood the need for constraint around. What it was that a that a remote web server would be able to give the user, Microsoft didn't. I mean, Microsoft said, "Wow, this will be really powerful if we allow websites to download code." I mean, this is object code. This is unrestrained code that can do anything on the user's machine and anything any other program could do. And of course, this the success of Microsoft's approach was that everybody immediately started using ActiveX and said, "Forget Java, forget JavaScript. Look how much more we can do with ActiveX." Well, and, and in fact, uh, the the classic example of the exploitation of this is the user experience of getting spyware installed on their machine or various kinds of malware just by visiting a website. You know, how many people, you know, were having problems with with Gator and and with weird sort of sort of third-party search things that suddenly just appeared in their browser. They didn't do anything to install them. They didn't give permission. They 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 didn't do they, you know, just were out surfing around the web and were picking up this stuff. Because they were using IE, which was leveraging this ActiveX technology, which is, you know, very powerful. I mean, it, it, it's the way Flash is able to provide, you know, very, you know, um, sophisticated animations and 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 substantial power is through th- this whole ActiveX plugin system that Microsoft has. But but the problem is, it was. Not designed with any sort with any sort of restraint built in. Now, of course, uh, Flash works without ActiveX, but is Flash as dangerous as as uh, Active Scripting and ActiveX? Well, um, Flash can do a lot with your system, but it's um, more sandboxed, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and, and what it, can you describe a little bit about what Active Scripting, which was this former VBS script that you, you talked about, and and Active X, the difference uh, between the two, and the and the different capabilities of the two. Well, the the idea in any kind of a in any kind of a scripting mode, whether it's you know VB script that's Active Script or or um, JavaScript, which was the the what Netscape scripting language ended up being named, even though it really bears no relation to the Java language itself. Just that, a clever that, marketing play on Netscape. Ex- exactly, Java was a, sort of like the cool acronym about what uh, eight or nine years ago. Um, any of these scripting things, the I, the idea is that that the textual content of the page is itself within sort of some some specified constraints on the page is code which is read by your browser and executed and so you know many things are are made possible i mean the 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 the, the positive side benefit of scripting is that pages can be intelligent themselves for example you could you could fill in a, a zip code and the page would know what state that was in so it would populate the state field for you if it knew because it could in the page it could have code that knew the zip code ranges by state and just filled that in for you and although it would be good here to kind of make the distinction between server side scripting and and client side scripting so when you visit, for instance, uh, thisweekintech.com or uh, or many pages, including your own page, Steve, because you use server-side scripts, uh, programs are running on the server, and oftentimes those zip code programs are running on the server, but you can also have code that runs on my computer as a visitor, and that would be JavaScript or ActiveScript uh, or, or ActiveX. Those are, those are running on my side. That, I think that's a really good distinction to make. For example, you know, my own Shields Up facility is it's code running on the server, and all I'm delivering to the user, despite the fact that they're getting a customized page showing which ports they have open and closed, all I'm delivering is absolutely generic HTML, you know, like dead code or dead dead text that the that the browser renders that's really so that's, important there's really no security implications on a, on a server side script at least not to you if, <laughs> to, to me running the server there might be but but from well, the user's point of view it's safe right server side as it sounds is is code running on the server not on the client not on the user's browser so it's it's client side code or or or, or browser side code which is where we have problems because in that model the the page that's delivered that contains textual content also contains contains interpreted script meaning that that it it is literally it's code that you can you know if, if you view the source of the page and you know focus your eyes after looking at what some of this gobbledygook looks like i mean it is actual code which your browser reads and runs there on your computer and i mean and and again that's where many of these cool features that we're used to seeing now on on modern websites come from is is well i mean for example many of of the menu navigation systems where you float your mouse around and things pop up and and open and you're able to to have a really nice 
navigational experience. That's done because you've got a bunch of code running in your browser right there without needing to go back and, and get updates and new stuff from the server all the time. So it's it's very real time, it's very it's very quick to operate. And even somebody over a slow modem, once they get that code loaded into their browser, then that page is able to do all this stuff locally by itself. And of course the 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 disadvantage of that is security because we're constantly running across problems. Now these are not policy problems, these are like implementation problems. And so that's the distinction I want to make is that, you know, in general, it's it's scary to accept code from a remote server, whether it's script code or even worse, an active X object that could be is literally running native native code with no restraint at all. I mean, you really need to trust the source of of uh, of of active X because it's, you know, you're literally running code that you've just received from the server. In the in the scripting side, there there is a there's been an attempt to constrain what the scripts can do, but but here we have the problem of of mistakes being made. In fact, you may have just uh, may have heard recently, Leo. There was a remote code execution vulnerability found in Firefox. You know, Firefox is is a is a browser that I know you prefer because it's it's due to its policies, it's substantially more secure than IE. For example, not running ActiveX controls that we've been talking about by by default. Um, but still, even so, these these mistakes in the code still create vulnerabilities that people find from time to time and are able to exploit and there's in fact there's exploit code on the net now for this firefox vulnerability so far it's not running code but it'll crash your browser if you just click this link because it it takes advantage of a of a coding error in the scripting stuff yeah and and that really is kind of a, a leak in the in the way that Firefox was designed, so that this stuff leaks into the actual application Firefox and then does things. Well, and in fact, what we're going to talk about next week in detail is what are buffer overruns, because anyone who's involved in security, is, I mean, even very peripherally as a user who's concerned is hearing buffer overrun buffer overrun buffer overrun all the time that's like the you know it, it it's the golden goose for for the malicious hacker and i want to talk in detail about what exactly a buffer overrun is what is it that's overrun how does that why does it seem to be such a problem to control and and why is it like the continual vector for all the problems people are having? But but again, I, that's different. That's that's uh, that's uh, uh, taking advantage of or exploiting a secure uh, a, f- a flaw, flaw in the programming. And the stuff we're talking about today is stuff that actually takes advantage of something that was intentionally done in right. in, the, in the browser. Uh, uh, this is as you say a policy mistake, not a programming mistake. Right. So I mean, in in general, the idea of of accepting code, whether it's script code or it's an actual executable file, which is what ActiveX is, you know, the idea of accepting code is dangerous. 
And so it's it's an unfortunate fact of modern life using the web that in order to have the kind of experience that that many websites want to give their visitors code is is and the risk of code is is what comes along sure well if you think territory. about it creating a a web-based antivirus is pretty difficult to do unless uh, the program can run on your system and can access your hard drive and examine your files and you, so, you mean like you mean like a web-based uh, like, a like scanner call. yeah like house right. call in fact they I, I i understand they've been trying to write a java version of house call but i haven't seen it yet and i think it's because it's very very difficult to do well, it's probably hard to get out of the Java right. sandbox exactly. onto the machine, exactly. and and you know something like go to my PC, a a browser based, re, you know remote access system. I mean that's a very powerful concept. But there, your browser is the is the client which is is running code on your machine in order to provide substantial features. So you know in every case we we have this trade off between the power to do what we want to do and the inherent lack of security that, that that using that power brings along now microsoft did something interesting in ie which uh, which as you know leo i take great advantage of and that's this notion of zones um, they have they have, you know, security setting controls like all browsers do for things you want to turn on and turn off. But what Microsoft's done in in, in order to try to prevent to to create some sort of control around this otherwise arguably too powerful facility called ActiveX is they've created this notion of of security zones. You have uh, if if a if a if a, a web domain like grc.com or microsoft.com or twit um, or, or whatever is not otherwise defined as like good or bad, it's the it's in the default internet zone, meaning that, it, that it's treated just like any other site on the internet. So you're able. So your settings that you have a set to uh, to general settings are apply to all of those sites. Exactly. Whatever your security setting is for that. Exactly, and and so the way the way I actually surf the net is I've got my internet zone cranked to the highest security possible in IE. What that does is it basically just Breaks shuts everything. <laughs> it, yes, it does. It shuts down everything. I will not run scripting of any sort. I will I will not run ActiveX controls. Basically, you know, nothing is working. Just out of now, curiosity, what percentage of sites you go to with those settings? work about 99 percent really it's really the case leo that a lot of sites i mean some of them aren't as fancy as they might be you know well-designed sites know when you're not running their script and so they'll like fall back to something that still works um one advantage is that i don't have flash ads you know jumping around flying across the screen you know running through their animation cycle because because flash doesn't run if if security is cranked all the way up so most sites will work but there are I mean like for example I can use Amazon because Amazon doesn't use client-side technology it's all of its stuff is server-side so they're just providing you know static pages to to browsers I think uh, eBay also works just fine you know many things 
do work with security cranked all the way up. But every so often, you'll run across a site that does need security. For example, many times when I'm doing e-commerce, if I if I have some e-commerce, I'm um, they're using script to do something like you know populate forms for you, where, where like for example, you'll have a shipping uh, a, a shipping address and a and a billing address, and so you'll fill the shipping in first, and then you'll click a button to say the shipping and the billing are the same, and like that, and and when you yeah, do that, it the fills form, in the form, yeah, it, yeah, exactly. So that's all happening on the client side. That's and usually that, JavaScript when that happens. Well, exactly, and it it won't work if if for example if if in IE if the security is set all the way to the max. But so uh, but I, and there are other things like Windows Update that won't work or, absolutely. or that antivirus they won't work either. So absolutely. there's a broad range of stuff that doesn't work. What so, happens then? So so what I do is there uh, IE has not only the default zone which is the so-called internet zone but it's got this notion of 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 a trusted zone. So you can you can have separate and completely different security settings for the trusted zone, and then you're able to buy URL. You're able to put any sites that you that you trust not to hurt you into your trusted zone. So, for example, I've got in there is is star.microsoft.com, um, star. You know, ecommerceRus.com. You know, whatever sites that. That I've decided to essentially to lower my security for, and so, that uses so, certificates, right, to, for identity. So you don't no, have to no, worry no. about somebody spoofing that. Well, what if you you got a phishing email and they spoofed Microsoft.com? Um, that's certainly a concern. You um, the the browser. I, I'm not sure it whether must be it's certificate. Based. The U, No, I'm sure it's not, Leo. It's because just the, it's, it's just it's, the address. It's then. just the URL. So yeah. so so the browser knows if it pulls the domain name and then and then is has has looked has looked up using DNS looked up the IP. I guess it's hard there. to fake that. I think it would be difficult to fake that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to say it's not possible, but in general, I think it's done. Very, pr- pretty securely. So it would take so some sort of man in the middle thing to do that. To so, that. so essentially, what this does is it allows you to have different security settings when you're just roaming about the internet, which is where you want very high security. And then for the sites that you visit from time to time, you have you know that you trust. You have security that has been lowered, if it turns out that you need to. And so, I mean, it, it's really, frankly, it's the optimal way to be secure on the Internet is to to be running nothing. I mean, no JavaScript, nothing. You know, many times when when these, these alerts come out, their workarounds until patches are available is turn off scripting. Well, I've already got mine turned off. I mean, it's off for all the sites that... That I don't already know, I care about, and I, I either need to or I want to uh, to enable those advanced features. So I mean, I'm I'm a real fan of this approach. And and if you do do it, you're very secure. I'm a little more cynical. I would say this is just Microsoft's way of deferring responsibility. Now they can say, well, if you get bid, it's only because you didn't use security properly. Well, well, I would say I would bet ninety nine percent of Internet Explorer users don't even know they have this capability, let alone use it. 
Right. It's it's built in to, you know, versions of IE for the last three or four major versions. I think it's it's certainly been in five and and as in six now. And in fact, and, works better in uh, Service Pack too. They they beefed up the locals. They changed how the local zone is handled to be even more secure. So it, in theory, it's a good idea. I mean, it, do you think this solves the issue? This, uh, this solves the security problem. Well, it it tra- certainly it transfers responsibility to the user, which is a burdensome thing to do. <laughs> My point exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it it does, but but the 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 certainly the, okay, the the best possible solution would be that you would never have a website that would try to give you a malicious ActiveX control and that the scripting technology would have no workarounds or mistakes or glitches that that malicious websites could take advantage of in order to get control of your browser. Unfortunately, neither of those are anything that a security conscious user could rely on. And we, in we, fact, if you've got code, you've you've got insecurity. So you're just gonna. This is never going to happen. Well, and yeah, and and it, it's not really fair to blame the browser. Because, I mean, look at all the problems we have just with the OS itself. I mean, right. so so I guess my point is that the reason the browser is a focus point is it's out there on the front line. I mean, you're literally, when you click a link, you are sending your browser off to somewhere it has never been before. <laughs> Maybe you've never been before, and it's like... Good luck. Cross your fingers. <laughs> Hope you're okay. Hold your breath. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, in 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 reality, I mean that, that that analogy is fun, but of course, what you're really doing when you click the link is you're you are asking a server, Lord knows where, to send you a blob of stuff which your browser running on your computer. I mean, maybe this is even more scary. As I mean, it's 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 the actual truth of what's happening is you're saying. You know, let you know. Let me have it, and so this blob of code comes down into your computer, and your browser says, "Okay, here we go." And in you, you know, with the best of intentions and in good faith, it starts reading this page, displaying things, and running scripts which may be included in that code. And you know, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, it. And so it's not that the that the browser is worse code than any other code we have it's just that you know it's the front line it's right out there as you surf the net getting pounded with 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 the 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 stuff from any websites that you visit so from my way of thinking i want my shields up i mean (laughs) i don't want (laughs) yeah i want my shields up while i'm out poking around the net and so nothing ever infects me i'm i'm when i'm going to sites i haven't been before you know mostly they work if i decide that okay i want a better relationship with this site you know i'm an evitamins.com or something and i decide okay i want i want to buy some stuff well then i will go over and i will put star.evitamins.com into my trusted sites list because this is like a real legitimate site but i've been able to sort of I've been able to interview it first. I went right, there right. with my shields up. I poked around. If if I decide I don't want to go there, then, then you know it's had no chance to affect me in any way because my browser won't do anything for this website. That's a good way to do it. 
I mean, it, it again. It is a. It's more burdensome for the user because you know your your shields are up by default, and then you lower them only where you need to. So, um, it it, it you know it's it's proven to be a, a fantastic way to work for me. And and again, as you say, Leo, unfortunately, there's there's this substantial power in IE, but most people don't understand it or know what it's about. Right. Hey, I want to give you a little bit of credit. Uh, you won't get the credit probably elsewhere, but you deserve it. Uh, it was not so many uh, years ago that you banged the gong uh, about raw sockets in Windows XP. And, of course, uh, about a year ago, Microsoft finally disabled that raw socket capability. And one of the reasons you didn't like raw sockets is it made that possible for any anybody who co-opted an XP computer to spoof their attacks, to use uh, uh, the raw sockets capability to... Uh, put a random non-existent IP address in the packet that they were sending out. Right. Well, there is a project going on. I just saw this on Slashdot called the Spoofer Project that's attempting to measure how many spoofed, how, how many ISPs or providers of any kind allow spoofing to occur. As you've pointed out, it, it, all it takes is a little bit of uh, due diligence on the part of the Internet service provider, and spoofed packets aren't really a problem. Uh, and apparently, according to the Spoofer Project, they've only done a few thousand measurements. About 80% of the IP addresses they've measured don't support spoofing anymore. The ISPs have sat up, taken note, and prevented IP address spoofing. Very nice. That's really good news. And I, and I, I think you deserve credit for it because I don't think anybody would have thought of this as a security issue, would have known about it if you hadn't raised a ruckus about raw sockets those years ago. Well, the the, the big problem, of course, are not individual end users who are doing this but there are there there are people whose computers are affected by these remote control irc bots right. we're not worried about and, granny using rust sockets but we're worried about her computer being used by a bad guy and Ross exactly sockets. and then attacks being launched from her computer and having the advantage of raw sockets means that it's easier to produce a denial of service attack on other machines which is virtually impossible i mean practically impossible to trace back yeah. so um i, I, I was really news. yeah i was really glad to see that microsoft you know finally woke up with service pack 2 right. and and removed raw sockets and it's it's very cool that slashdot's doing this i i had a a a, a plan that i never got back to i had a the idea was going to be um a little gizmo called spoofarino was my uh, uh, a piece of freeware that I was going to do that would allow people to determine for themselves whether their ISP allowed spoofing outbound. That, of course, became much more difficult once XP right. Service Pack 2 happened because <laughs> it would be much harder to generate such a packet. So uh, because I ha can run as root on my OS X system and uh, Linux users can as well. In fact, you can even do this on Windows if you... Uh, run this little software. It's actually not slash that they, they have the story, but it's from MIT. It's called the Spoofer Project. Spoofer.csail.mit.edu. I'll put a link in the show notes. Very but cool. I think what's encouraging, whether you run it or not, is that so many ISPs have heard the call and uh, are blocking spoofed packets. Well, and I think they don't want to be hosts yes. for these right. bots right. either. Right. And so, it, so if, if they block... I mean, it's so easy for an ISP to know if the apparent source IP of a packet that's leaving their network could have originated in their network. I mean, is it one of their IPs or not? And, and if it's not, just drop it. Right. And so suddenly no machines in their network, you know, within their entire network can be 
used to generate spoofed attacks and and they stop being a a useful source for for those bots so one little small victory anyway that's <laughs> many, many more battles to fight next week we'll talk about uh, a really a bigger battle you can talk about securing your browser and you can talk about better security policies from operating system companies but one thing we'll never be rid of is bugs and uh, we'll talk about Common buffer bugs, overruns. buffer overruns. This is the big one. How they happen and uh, and what they mean, and uh, why they're so darn <laughs> hard to fix and 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 to prevent. Yep. And as you know, but security is important to us. That's why we are very happy to have Astaro Corporation as our uh, partner on this podcast. They're our great sponsor at astaro dot com. Make sure you check out the Astaro Security Gateway, a free software for home users. They can run to protect yourself and, of course, for businesses and people like me who want to be extra careful and extra extra protected for a very reasonable cost. The open source Astaro gateways are really the way to go. I love my 120. I'm really happy I've got it. So, uh, Steve, we'll uh, be back uh, next week talking about browser and buffer overflows and all those nasty bugs. I hope you have a wonderful week and enjoy the sunshine. Talk to you then, Leo. Next Thursday, Security Now. Security Now.